Yeah, we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Uh, As we come to think about this passage, uh, let's pray and ask that God would be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this passage from Isaiah that we've just heard read. Uh, We thank you for its message and we pray you help us to understand it and what relevant it has uh, what relevance it has for us today amen what would be the perfect gift for you yeah, the gift that would make you happy and fill you with joy for christmas and even beyond the gift that would be exactly what you needed to meet your needs and perhaps even have a practical role in your life I don't know about you, but I hate it when people ask me, what do you want for Christmas? Because I can never think of the right thing to say. You know, what's the the one perfect gift that would be exactly what I needed? And I recently thought I had this problem solved for my birthday when I asked my family for the newly released Lego treehouse. 3,036 pieces of Lego fun. It's actually got some really sophisticated building techniques as well and some interesting part usage. And the best bit is that the plant and leaf pieces are made from plant oil rather than fossil fuels. It's a new thing they're doing, so it's a sustainable gift as well. So surely this sounds like the perfect gift, right? The problem is I haven't even had time to open it yet. So perhaps I need to ask for some free time for Christmas. And that's the thing with gifts. No matter how perfect they may seem, they have their limits. They don't last, and so they need to be replaced. They're not quite enough, so we need a little bit extra. We need to upgrade them. Or they're not truly satisfying, so we look elsewhere. 
There doesn't seem to be the perfect gift to end all gifts. And so perhaps the problem is looking in material objects for the perfect gift. Maybe we need to look past the presents to the people that actually give those presents. The other week, my brother Kent returned home from living overseas and he's going to spend Christmas with the whole family, which we're really looking forward to. Uh, Now we had a, a family chat group on our phones, we did video calls that helped us to stay in touch. But it's just not the same as being physically present with others. Yeah, there's something special about relationships and being with those you care about, or even just those you like hanging out with. So perhaps the perfect gift then is about having the right person or the right people with you. you know, perhaps rather than trying to buy the perfect present, we just need to be personally present. But we all know that even people can let us down. They have competing plans to ours, they get sick and can't spend time with us, or they find someone else to be with. We each have a deep longing for something, that certain something which will make us happy, that special something that someone can give us that will meet our deepest needs. What I want to put to you today is that the perfect gift has already been given. God has given us his son so that we might find everlasting peace and joy and contentment. And we find these in the presence of God. He is the source of all of these things and more. Being with God means that we have access to an unending reservoir of love and generosity so that we'll never need to look elsewhere. All the good gifts in this life actually point to the greatest gift of all, Jesus. We could sum this up in our big idea for today. Jesus is the promised gift who brings God's special presence. And that's presence with a C, not a T-S. And yes, I know that sounds like a bad Christmas pun or a dad joke, but guess what? I'm a dad and it's Christmas time. And of course, you're going to remember it, eh? You actually see this big idea in the famous Christmas verse that many of you will know. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. You can actually see it in the insert in your welcome card. I've even put in bold to help you. Matthew 1, 23, it says this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But if you look at the verse before that, you see this. All, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet that Matthew is speaking about is Isaiah who first uttered these words to a king 700 years before Jesus was even born. And so to help us better understand how Jesus is the perfect gift, we need to go back to an earlier time to see when this promise was first made and how it was first fulfilled. We're going to see that God promised a sign to King Ahaz of the perfect gift. So to set the scene, we need to do a bit of history, a bit of geography, I'll even throw in some politics for good measure. It's kind of like an early Christmas present, isn't it? So turn your welcome card, or if you've got a Bible, open it to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, and I'll read it out for us. Isaiah 7, verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezan of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. 
So we've got three kings here. You'll see there's a map on your insert in the welcome card, and it shows you where these kings lived. Now, first up we have, whoops, first up we have Ahaz. Then we have Rezin. Then we have Pekah. And there are three kingdoms they ruled over. There's Judah down the bottom, then Israel in the middle, and then Aram at the top. Now, Aram was one of the nations near Israel that had territory to the north and east of God's people, and they were sometimes in conflict with them. And at this time in history, the nation of Israel actually split into two separate kingdoms. They didn't always get along. And so the northern kingdom of Israel, confusingly, was called Israel, and its capital was Samaria, and the southern part that had broken away, the southern kingdom was Judah with Jerusalem as its capital, and that's where Ahaz was king. And we read in verse 1 that Israel and Aram had uh, formed an alliance against Judah, but they weren't able to overpower Jerusalem. When we get to verse 2, we actually move back in time to reveal the events that led up to this failed attack. It says this, and just note that Ephraim is another name for Israel. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And look at the threat in verse 6. Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Now Ahaz, he was a descendant of the great King David. And now Ahaz's enemies are trying to overthrow the house of David. And so no wonder that he and his people are freaked out and they're shaking like leaves. And so God sends his prophet Isaiah to bring a message of hope and to offer a gift. As we'll see, the gift is God being present to help his people. Have a look at verses 3 and 4 in your welcome cards. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shia Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Then look what God says about their evil plan in verse 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says it will not take place. It will not happen. God promised that he'll be with Ahaz and the people. God will protect them with his mighty presence. Seems like the perfect gift. And to guarantee it, he offers to give Ahaz a sign. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. You see, God is trying to help Ahaz out here by giving him a boost for his faith. But what does Ahaz do? He snubs God. I mean, shockingly, King Ahaz refuses God's gift. Have a look at verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, I think most people read Ahaz here as being pious. You know, perhaps he's being humble or maybe he's even thinking that he's passing a test here. You know, maybe God's trying to trick him. You know, he won't test the Lord. He'll just trust God. He doesn't need a sign. That's actually not what's going on. 
Ahaz is not being pure and mature here. He's being petulant and moronic. I mean, look what happens in the next verse. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Isaiah's pretty cross. God is trying to help this guy out, but he refuses to listen. And look back at verse 9. The second part says this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It seems that the king has very little faith in God. He sounds pious, but really what he's saying is, it's okay, God, I've got this. I can beat back Rezin and Pekah. I can secure the Davidic dynasty. I can be the hero king that Judah needs, and I can secure your promised blessings for your people. I can do it all. But God says he'll give Ahaz a sign, whether he likes it or not. And that sign will prove that God is in control, not Ahaz. Have a look at verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now we all know this verse, don't we? But perhaps you'll see it in a different light now. The sign is a child named Emmanuel. And we learned in our Matthew reference earlier that the name Emmanuel means God with us. Therefore, God is saying that his presence will be the answer to Judah's problem. The people's hope lies in him, not in faithless Ahaz. Now, it may surprise you to know that this sign was most likely fulfilled in Ahaz's time. Otherwise, it would be a pointless sign to give to Ahaz, wouldn't it? But Isaiah doesn't tell us how it was fulfilled, and so scholars and commentators, they don't agree about it. For example, you you may know that the word virgin here could simply mean young woman. So this could just be talking about a regular woman having a baby, and the fact that she has a baby shows that Jerusalem wasn't conquered. Some people think the child was a special baby. Perhaps Ahaz's own son, Hezekiah, who later became king, and he was faithful to God. Others think that the young woman is referring to the city of Jerusalem itself and hope will be born in her. Perhaps the remaining faithful Jews will be the child. In the end, we can't really say because Isaiah doesn't actually tell us. The point we're meant to take away from all of this is that God would be present for his people's benefit. God is everywhere in the world, but he promised that he'd be specially present so that the people of Judah would not be defeated so that the house of David would be preserved, so that the promised blessings from God would come to the world. And so during a dark time for Jerusalem, God promised the perfect gift that he would be with his people. And that's what happened, and the people were preserved. So that's the background to this famous verse, the background to the Christmas story. And we're going to turn now to Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. And I want to show you now that Jesus is the ultimate promised gift who came with the ultimate sign. So we're going to turn to Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Harry's going to come up and actually read it out for us. And you'll see that it's printed in your welcome card. So open it up. Harry's going to come up and read it. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As we've just heard, Joseph learned that his fiancée Mary is pregnant and suspecting unfaithfulness, he decides to call it off quietly. But then an angel appears and tells him that the child growing inside Mary is from the Holy Spirit. He will be a son that Joseph must name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will also be called Emmanuel. Matthew, the disciple of Jesus who wrote this book, connects the dots for us by quoting from Isaiah 7 verse 14. He shows us that Jesus is the ultimate fulfilment of the sign because a literal virgin gave birth. As I said, it's almost certain that there was a more immediate fulfilment of God's promise in Isaiah's day, the birth of a child who at that time people would have recognised. They would have had a sign which showed them that God was with them. But that fulfilment of the sign was itself appointed to the greater Emmanuel to come, the one who would complete the sign in a much greater, literal and concrete way and who would be a wonderful gift from God. This is one of the ways that prophecies in the Bible actually work. There's an event or a person who's kind of like a foreshadowing that teaches us truths about God and God's plan for this world. But then when Jesus comes, he brings the reality so that we realise that as great as what came before was, it was just a shadow. It had the shape, the outline of the reality, but it lacked the full substance. In the 8th century BC, it's likely that a young woman had a baby in the usual way and it served as a sign. But we see here in Matthew chapter 1 that a baby was born to a literal virgin. I mean, surely that's a much greater event, right? There is no human male involved in the conception of the baby. Now, this might seem absolutely preposterous to you, that anyone would believe in a virgin birth. Well, I'll just quickly say that if God is real, then of course it's possible. I've actually written up some notes in your insert, in your welcome card. You can look up later, not now. You can look it up later if you want to think about that more or come and talk to me. I'd love to have a chat. The virgin birth is a sign of God's power and a sign that our hope is not found in human strength, human wisdom, human power, but in God alone. In linking this to Isaiah 7, we see that Jesus is not just the ultimate sign, but he's also the ultimate promised gift because he brings God's presence. 
He is God with us to save us. It's very helpful that Matthew explains what the name Emmanuel means. It's Hebrew for God with us. But how is it that God is with us? Well, the explanation is in the meaning of the other child, of the child's other name. In verse 21, the angel says, Joseph must name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in Hebrew, that name is pronounced as Yeshua, or we might say Joshua, and it means the Lord saves. The covenant God of Israel is the one who saves his people, and in some way this tiny baby growing inside of Mary will be the means through which God ultimately accomplishes this. And this act of salvation won't be a political rescue like in the time of Ahaz or help in the face of famine or some other national crisis. This act of salvation will involve dealing with people's sin, dealing with the very thing that causes trouble in our lives, the thing that sets us at odds with God. The virgin birth is the ultimate sign of an ultimate act of salvation that will be of deep significance for countless people. And the result will be the permanent presence of God with his people. That is why Jesus is the perfect gift. So to understand how it is that Jesus could go on to save his people, we need to turn to one last passage in the Bible. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. And we'll see that Jesus was literally God with us so that God can remain with us. If you don't know, Colossians is a letter written by a man named Paul. He wrote to a group of Christians who lived 50 to 60 years after Jesus was born. In the first chapter, Paul writes an amazing description of who Jesus is and what he came to do. There's actually a lot in there, so we're just going to dip in and get a couple of ideas out of it. Paul begins by showing that Jesus was God in the flesh, bringing God's special presence. This is how Jesus was literally God with us. You'll see there's some key verses from Colossians 1 on the insert in your welcome card. I want to draw your attention to verses 15 to 17. Jesus is described here as the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is not an exalted human. He's not an angel. Because all things were created through him and for him, and he sustains all things. And only God can do that. Jesus is God himself come in the flesh. Have a look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. On the first Christmas day, the baby wrapped in cloths is also God wrapped in humanity. He was God with us in the literal sense. When people embraced Jesus, they embraced their creator. They embraced God. But we know that many people refused to embrace Jesus or to accept he was who he said he was. In fact, they opposed him and there was a a group who conspired to have him executed. And I think this is a reminder to us that 
as much as we might want God to be present with us, it's not something that can be permanent unless there's a change to the human heart. Because we have a tendency to push God away or to try and control him to do what we want him to do or we just simply ignore him. We will happily take the good gifts that God gives us in this world and in this life, but we don't think to thank him or to give him the honour that he deserves. This is what we call sin. It's what Jesus ultimately came to deal with. The next thing that Paul does in Colossians chapter 1 is to show that Jesus died on the cross, ensuring God can remain with his people. Have a look at verse 20 of Paul's letter. After speaking of God being present in the man Jesus, we read this. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, God can only remain with humanity forever if our sins are forever dealt with. Because God is holy and perfect, his radiant light, his glorious presence casts out all unholiness, all darkness. But this includes us in our sinfulness. You see, if we are unholy, we'll be cast out from God's presence. We'll be cut off. And God is the source of life. And so that ultimately means death. But that's why Jesus died on the cross to remove our unholiness, to remove our darkness so that we'll not be cut off from God. On the first Christmas day, this baby was placed in a wooden manger, a helpless baby living as God with us. But he would one day be placed on a wooden cross so that he could be God with us forever. As he hung there, as innocent as he was, he was paying for the wrongdoings of humanity. He was dying the death that we deserve. He bore the penalty to create peace. And Paul then tells us what we need to do if we want to be reconciled to God. Look at verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the gospel, or the good news, which shows why Jesus is the perfect gift. Do you remember what God said to Ahaz back in Isaiah 7, verse 9? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Centuries later, Paul reaffirmed that truth by saying that you must have faith in Jesus and that you must continue in your faith established and firm. Now, listen to me very carefully. I want to make sure you're all listening now. Paul is not saying that it's about the strength of your faith. It's about where you put your faith. Be firm that you've put your faith in Jesus. You see, King Ahaz, he trusted in himself, didn't he? And he paid the terrible price. He cut a deal with the kingdom of Assyria, but guess what? They then came in and took control. And his kingdom was under Assyrian rule for a hundred years. Yes, God was with his people. Yes, God kept them safe. But Ahaz suffered greatly and God's presence came to be a curse for Ahaz rather than a blessing. Let's not be like Ahaz, who was self-reliant and short-sighted. Let's not get so fixated on this life 
that we forget about the life to come. There are so many wonderful gifts to enjoy in this world, but there is one perfect gift that will satisfy us forever, Jesus. He is the promised gift who brings God's special presence. But how can this be true for you? How can you come to know God for the first time? Or if you already know him, how can you continue to enjoy God? Well, I want to start wrapping this up now, or perhaps I'm finishing unwrapping these ideas. I'm not sure which gift metaphor to use. But we're going to finish by showing how it is that you can enjoy the gift of God's presence this Christmas. And it's related to three key words, trust, remember and wait. The first word is trust. You need to trust in Jesus and not in yourself or the gifts promised by others. So we know that the problem with all human gifts is they just don't last. They're temporary. They can't satisfy us forever. Toys break. Books are read and finished. Clothes wear out or go out of style. Food gets eaten and even joyful memories can fade. As wonderful as these things are, there's always a new need or a new problem or a new worry just on the horizon. Ahaz thought that he could handle the situation with Israel and Aram, but then he had to face the problem of Assyria. He rejected God. And so at the end of his life, we read about him looking to all these other gods to try and help him. He made altars and he offered sacrifices in a desperate attempt to find help anywhere but he refused to look to God, the one who could help him. Don't be like Ahaz. Trust in the God who has sent Jesus as the perfect gift to meet your daily needs and your eternal needs. Trust in Jesus who has ensured that one day you can be with God forever. The next word is remember. Remember that God is with his people even now to help them. If you have trusted in Jesus, then know that God is watching over you and nothing will stop him from bringing about the good that he's planned for you. He will get you through this life and into the next. And so you're able to pray to him and know that he will listen. You can come to him in your need and find comfort and strength and reassurance. You can even come to him in your failings and weaknesses. And know that he will forgive you because Jesus has already saved you from your sins. He will lift up your head so that you can finish this year well, even if 2019 has been a terrible year where you did terrible things or terrible things were done to you. God will cover you. God is with his people even now to help them. And the final word is wait. Wait for the gift of God's presence to come in its fullness. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, then what do you wait for? What good thing are you hoping is on the horizon? What do you think will satisfy you, validate you, help you to get through? You know what the Bible tells us is that on the final horizon is the coming of God to earth to make all things new. And that coming will bring his glorious presence and his radiant glory will expose our flaws. And so will your flaws be covered by Jesus and his death on the cross or will you be stripped bare and find that you are unable to stand? Remember, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. 
Jesus invites you to come to him in faith so that you can stand. Don't wait. Do it today. For those of you here today who do have faith in Jesus, the coming of God's presence in its fullness will be a wonderful blessing because then the gift will be finally, completely, fully unwrapped and you will have eternal peace, deep satisfaction, overflowing joy and physical abundance. And so we must wait. We mustn't define our faith by the disappointments of the Christian life because people will still let us down. We will still struggle with temptation. We will be needy and wanting and weary. But we have hope. And so we wait. Jesus is the promised gift who brings God's special presence now in part and soon in its fullness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good and generous towards us. Not only do you give us wonderful gifts in this life, you also give us the gift of Jesus so that we can enjoy eternal life with you. Please help us all to have a safe and wonderful Christmas where we can trust, remember and wait. Amen.